Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval terms apply don't just ride the index seek to outperform it with fidelity active etfs learn more at fidelity.com active etfs before investing in any exchange traded fund you should consider its investment objectives risks charges and expenses contact fidelity for a prospectus and offering circular or if available a summary prospectus containing this information read it carefully while active etfs offer the potential to outperform an index these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive etfs fidelity brokerage services llc member nyse sipc Hi, friends. It's your weird old dog hiding behind the couch because I ate from the garbage. A.W. here. Hallie Ward, hi. Oh, man, this episode, you guys. Whew, this episode is so good. Nothing to do with me. It's just very good. It's two episodes is how good it is. So this is just part one of a discussion with an ologist who might actually very much changed the way that you are living your life because fear. When was the last time you felt it? I know that there's a slim percentage of tough bros out there being like, uh, when I was like five. And we all know that isn't true. We're scared all the time. Someone almost spills a Slurpee on your new shirt. Uh, No one in the group chat responded to your meme. Your credit score went down because you messed up auto pay. You're late to work. You have to buy a gift for your sister, but she might not like it. We're scared all the time. We're scared all the time. And it turns out for kind of weird reasons. But we can do something about it. But first, what can you do for me? Well, you guys are so kind. I love Ologies listeners so much. Um, Thank you so much for keeping this indie podcast up in the top 20 or so science podcasts, I think in the world on iTunes. That's so crazy. Um, thank you to all the patrons on patreon.com slash ologies for making it happen each week. There would be no podcast without you. You can join up for as little as a buck a month, which lets you ask the ologists your questions. It gets you videos, behind the scenes photos. So thank you for supporting there. Thank you to all the listeners who tweet and who gram. If you tell a friend about the show, thank you for that. I really love making this podcast so much. I wanted to do it for like 10 years. And even when I'm afraid that no one will like it because it's too weird and I talk about butts and bugs and stuff, um, I'm so happy I make it and I'm even happier that you guys listen. And so rating and reviewing and subscribing on iTunes keeps it up in the charts so other people can be like, what's this thing? And listen, and there's more ologites in the world. So thank you for doing that. Each week, I read a review as a little thank you. This week, new girl left a review that just says, hey, do you like breathing? Then you'll love this podcast. Thanks, new girl. I also want to shout out to Taylor Ann 2017, who wrote, I absolutely love this podcast. Allie has such a great way of making everything interesting. And just to prove how much I love this podcast, I just spent two hours fighting computer updates so that I could write this review. Taylor Ann 2017 props. Now, fearology. Really, Pops Ward? Really. Okay, now I knew I wanted to do an episode on the subject of fear, and I came across the work of this ologist, and I saw that she studies fear specifically. I said to myself, Ward, is fearology a word? 
get honest with yourself. Wouldn't this be phobiology because phobias mean fears? Yes? No. Okay, phobias are technically irrational or obsessive fears. Now, the word fear just comes from a root meaning danger. So, phobias are maybe a little OTT, maybe a little over the top and specific, but fear is a response to everyday danger. I looked it up and fearology is in fact a real word as it's been used in books about fear, like philosophy and fearism and east-west dialogue. And a few other experts in stress and fear and anxiety use the word fearology. So, I think it's a super critical field of study, and thus I am throwing my weight behind making it an even realer, more commonly used word. Fearology. Let's do this. Let's talk about it. So I came across this ologist's work. I was immediately like, I must speak to her. And then I sent her a fangirl email. I found out she lived a mile away from me. Thrilled. I was so thrilled. We had a time set to do the interview, and about 10 minutes before, she emailed me just to say she was on her way, and uh, I was eating toast at a coffee shop, having fully forgotten that we were recording. So I saw her email, shot up, abandoned my friend and the toast at the coffee shop, and I sped walked home like one of those weird ladies who get exercise at the mall, and I arrived just as she walked up. I was very sweaty. My apartment was littered with tax paperwork. I was so mortified. I was so stressed out. I was afraid of being judged. Um, I was damp in many places. It was perfect. So we recorded for about two hours. So this episode, again, is broken into part one this week, which covers a lot of ground, and then part two, which answers your specific questions, and it gives even more insight on how super successful folks address their fears. So helpful. There were parts I was so shook, I could not make words. I just grunted in response. So come back next week for the follow-up episode because they're both, both episodes are real life fixers. Also, quick audio note, it was so hot that day and I just run home, so all the windows were open and the air conditioning was on. So if you hear like just a hum in the background, it's just the air conditioning. Super sorry. Ignore it. So she is an instructor at San Jose State University, a TEDx speaker, and my new personal anxiety guru, whether she would like to be or not. So please breathe deep and make room for epiphanies with fearologist Mary Poffinroth. So now this is your mic. I'm, I'm still sweating. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> like, this is gonna be the sweatiest interview I've ever done. I mean, sweating is part of the, the stress response. So it's, it's good that you came all like ready to go. <laughs> you're like, it's good you're a literal hot mess right now. <laughs> Have I ever been a hotter mess? And now, okay, I emailed you and I was like, is there? A st- I knew that you studied fear. Yeah. And I was like. Is that and for a second I was like, is it possible that you study pears and this is a typo, or you study feet or something and this is a typo? Because there's no way that you just study fear. That's too awesome. So how did you get into the study of fear? Like, where where, where do you even start? Um, I was raised by someone that was afraid of everything. Okay. <laughs> so you know, like all good parents, my mom did a really awesome job of fucking me up because I think that's what parents do, <laughs> right? She was a loving mom and had a great childhood, but like all parents. 
parents, that's your job to, you know, pass on your dysfunctions to your children. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she never had a passport. She never left the country. You know, she was very much, you know, only went to high school. I didn't come from a educated family. I was the only one in my entire family to go to college. Uh, And so it's, it's one of those things that she passed on a lot of her fears onto me. And as she got older, then it just kind of escalated. Mm. And it was not until like, you know, my, my late 20s. And I realized I, I haven't left the country either. Mary was the youngest of five siblings and the only one to graduate from high school. So she ended up earning one master's in science, having studied ecology and evolution and population biology, and another MS in science communication, which are two really high up limbs to go out on, if you ask me, and thus very brave and cool. And I became a um, university lecturer in biology at age 27 and, you know, was doing well in my career, but felt like, okay, there's all these like explorers that... I see in ecological biology that I find are my heroes and they're doing all this cool stuff and I'm still in the same town that I've lived for my whole life. <laughs> what What is going on? So I started to kind of examine where that was coming from and that's really when I started to get super excited about the study of fear. Mm-hmm. Um, my personal research background, my first job was at NASA Ames in the Bay Area um, looking at the impact of hypergravity on the mammalian system, which sounds super fancy for putting rats in a really big centrifuge and spinning them around for months. Oh my God. Have you ever been in a centrifuge? Uh, No. Yeah. No, they don't let us go in there, but the the walls were so thick. um, We had like, we're in a bunker in case things went wrong with the centrifuge because it could like spin out of control. And that's where I first started to get some of the physiology experience of the impact of stress. Mm -hmm. What we were looking at in the hypergravitational study was basically it was it was a preface of can we send humans into a long-term journey where their bodies are going to be under hypergravitational stress. So we were looking at stress in, you know, can can they pee? Can, uh-huh. they, can they eat? <laughs> Will they still fornicate? Will they do all the things? And if, you know, under long periods of stress. And that was really when I started to examine the, the body's response to stress. And Stress is that funny word when we think about fear, like no one uses the word fear in common language um, for the most part. And that's another interesting side note of actually what portion of the demographic in Western society uses the word fear. Um, But we can we can come back to that. But stress and fear are basically the same. When we think oh. about, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I yeah. just was yeah. grunting because yeah. I was like, oh, that's <laughs> so true. Yeah. It's like, so true, especially right right now. We're surrounded by my tax paperwork and I had like a full on <laughs> stress meltdown being like, I'm doing the forms wrong. And I was scared. Yeah. 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 So think about like what we call the stress response. You um, are going to have like tightness in your neck and your lower back. That's your body getting ready to fight with your arms and getting blood and energy to like your legs so you can run away. Um, getting the shortness of breath and like the tightness in your chest and getting sweaty yeah. and, you know, your pupils dilating and your body is shutting down non-essential systems like digestion. This is why you know, depending on what kind of nerves, we use that word a lot too, that you're feeling, you get like butterflies in your stomach or maybe like a little something more serious. You're like, you need to excuse yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so all of that is the stress and response is the fear response. 
So having slightly more gravitational force on you is a type of physical stress. And so Mary was studying what would happen to other mammals, i.e. humans exploring space, under these conditions. And you know what? For some people, just being around a bunch of rats on what amounts to a very expensive carnival ride would be a major source of stress on its own. But I like to think that the rats just loved it, that they just stumbled out wanting a corn dog and more tokens to go on again. But aside from rats just having a summer, what kind of data were they gathering? But we were looking at, can they do the physiological basic functions under stress? But we were just looking at um, like the renal system, can they eat? Can they drink? Can they process um, urine? Right? Are, are things coming in and going out? Did you find that, um, just because I have to get this question answered, yeah. in hypergravity, were they able to pee and poo? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. They, just had to check. They had, there was like a, there was an uptick in like, holy shit, what's going on? Oh my God, we're in a big centrifuge. Ah! And then when, when everything just kind of like was on lockdown and then we weren't studying for that. But if you were testing for that, then you could say that could have been like they were in the super fear response. Okay. And then when things kind of, they got acclimated to, okay, we're just going to keep spinning. That's okay. This is just how it is. Then they would returned to okay. their like normal daily activities of eating and drinking and going to the bottle and um, getting, you know, some, some water, you know, humans under stress, go to a different kind of bottle. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. The most scared I've ever been in my life. It's funny. The only reason why I keep peppering you about this is yeah. the most scared I've ever been is when I was in a centrifuge at, um, at a testing facility for where they were testing and training um, Air Force pilots. Oh, wow. And I've been mugged at knife point. And that was one of the scariest things. And being in a centrifuge was one of the scariest. So I was like, oh, how did they do? Like, yeah. I remember the moment where they, they put me in the thing. I was, yeah. I've never been so scared of anything. Because like, at least with mugging, it was like a surprise. I was like, whoa. But um, with this, I was getting in. I just was shaking. I thought I, I thought I needed a diaper. I was like, I don't know what's going to come out what end. So I'm like, I'm very, I feel like feeling for these rats. But so that was that was one study you did, and then you started to kind of that opened up your mind to okay, let's really get into the nitty gritty of the stress stress response and fear. And and you're right, we do call it stress when we mean fear. Yeah, yeah. We in Western society we have like this stress badge of courage. Yes. When you ask someone how they are, oh my God, I'm so stressed. Yes. And like, oh my God, me too. There's the kids and there's the work and there's the, all the things. And so we feel confident talking about stress because we can commiserate, but we don't feel confident talking about the F word because right. there's so much shame associated with fear in our society. Mm -hmm. And we're never taught how to deal with fear in a healthy way. I mean, I never was. Yeah. That's not a subject in school. Yeah, no. Yet it's one of the four basic human emotions that go into make like all of the rainbow of colors of all of the other emotions. <laughs> Wait one second. There are four basic human emotions. Just four? I thought there were approximately one billion, and then several thousand more if you include feelings that only the French have words for. But nope, just four, say researchers. There's happy, duh. Sad, also, duh. And then two that, not unlike many LA residents who are like actors and yoga teachers, there are two emotions that are hybrids. One is afraid slash surprised, and angry slash disgusted. So right now, this information is either making you feel happy, sad, afrized, or engrusted. And fear is not something we talk about in that way because the messaging we get is 
be fearless. Which is hella dumb. Because yeah. that's like saying, just don't be thirsty. I know. Or like, you, you just be hungerless. You like, can't it, do that. <laughs> you're bo- I mean, you're, we, are, we are the product of, uh, you know, I, as I was talking to an evolutionary biologist, like 3.7 years of evolution. I meant 3.7 billion, but whatever. And clearly the ones who could fight and run away were the ones who survived. Yep. So it would be crazy to be fearless because how would we have made it this dead. far? Yeah, we would be <laughs> dead if you were like, shit, go ahead and attack me. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Like, no. <laughs> so do you think that when when you first started studying stress and fear, what was the biggest question you had? Like, what did you find that was lacking in either communication about fear or just data about fear? I would just like to point out that as we discussed fears and emergencies there happened to be fire trucks and sirens screaming past my apartment which was an unintended audio bonus just to make sure that our fear responses were working so yeah yeah it's working fine it's working fine thanks brain calm your tits yeah i think that for me i I initially started studying fear in just a more hobby way because I was interested in it and as an academic for my entire professional career it's been one of those things that I'm just a big nerd and like mm, like I just you know was was absorbing all these things because it was fascinating to me and through that initial search I was really finding either like clinical or pathological studies on fear mm-hmm. that were about people that were more of the outliers that were dealing with mental health in- issues in a professional setting um, that were having very extreme phobias or um, you know really extreme anxiety that was negatively impacting their life mm-hmm. um, and I was like well I don't fit in that category because I'm just it's everyday fears of how you know how do I not freak out about this presentation or you know how do I go say what up to that cute guy like <laughs> I, this is I don't need to go and have a clinical this is just normal stuff and I didn't really see a lot of um, research in that area and then in terms of what was happening with people that were communicating because part of my my degrees are in science communication and biology um, and the people that were communicating about fear were either people that were bringing a lot of like pseudoscience level of it to it um, or people that really did extreme stuff. So like, yeah, bro, I, I climbed Mount Everest and it was like super dope and I'm here to like teach you how to like fight through the fear and also climb Mount Everest. <laughs> I'm like, I'm never, I hate the cold. I'm literally never going to climb Mount Everest. Uh, or former Navy SEALs and fighter pilots and just being badasses. I'm like, that's cool. But I, there's, there's nothing that I can I can use there. Right, um, not applicable. Yeah, exactly, right? And, and one of the things that really got me interested in not only studying it, but trying to create a framework that people could take the research that has been done and apply it to their daily lives is you have to make it simple. And that's kind of my, my jam with, with fear is I do original research, but I also am combing through the research and trying to create like strategies for people that are easy to remember, easy to use, that help them understand their own bodies and then apply that so they can not be so afraid of all the things. Quick question. So what are Americans' biggest fears? Well, that actually depends on what year you ask. So in 2014, Chapman University put out a list of Americans' big old fears. There were the usual suspects, like public speaking was number one, then heights and bugs and snakes and drowning, and then blood and needles. The huge, 
It's like a menu of scary stuff at a chain restaurant you've been to a dozen times. Familiar. But according to the same source, the new biggest fears of Americans are, number one, corrupt government officials, uh, the American Health Care Act, pollution, and being involved in a nuclear war with North Korea. So never have I been so nostalgic for just some simple old American drowning fears. But a fun thing to do is sit down, make a list of the things that scare you, and then say, hey, scary thing, I see you. And then maybe what can I actually do about some of this stuff? Maybe not all of your fears are big, huge environmental or governmental ones. You know, I did this once and I realized that driving a Miata with a terrible blind spot on the highway was a consistent source of panic. And so I sold that thing. I got a station wagon. I never looked back. So that's one thing you can do. Mm -hmm. Not that they're going to get like there's no cure for fear, not to get rid of the fear, but like change that relationship and change that story around their fears so they can start living a better life <laughs> with fear now with added fear <laughs> so what is fear and what is stress they are the same thing but what what's happening i know that the basics i know of are like the hpa axis like hypopituitary adrenal there's something going on hormonally but what is happening like what is my why is my body jacking me so hard <laughs> all the time yeah right um and and that's uh, a complex, like, big, messy ball. And this is why, you know, the study of fear is so messy. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer that question by, like, pulling out just a little bit mm -hmm. of there's no, like, discipline in any academic institution around fear. Um, fear sometimes is looked at in the psychological genre. Um, sometimes it can be in sociology. Sometimes it's in biology. Um, there's also in marketing and communications literature um, uh, this idea called fear appeals, which is a way to communicate a powerful persuasion tool that we have overused and now everyone's freaking out because we have trained people to be scared all the time. Okay, side note, I looked up this term fear appeals and y'all, it is a whole thing. Oh boy. Anytime a commercial or like a news network makes you feel like you are about to die, they're pretty much using fear appeals. So yes, sex sells, but so does, oh my God, you're in a lot of peril. Oops, I took your money. So one could be a cheesemonger, one could be a fishmonger, but fear mongering is a little less smelly and it might make you more money. Um, so you find these in like so many disciplines that they don't fit in one discipline, which mm -hmm. is not necessarily surprising because fear is such a base unit of our lives. So it's yeah. not going to fit neatly into anywhere. Um, when you're talking about like the physiology, the way that I, I like to explain it is if you're looking at the brain, right, and kind of like a, a simple like condition of the brain, like kind of separating into three big parts. So you have your hind brain, it's going to be in the back. That's going to be the like most basic of functions. Um, some people have likened it to the reptilian brain okay. that I'm sure that you've heard because it's similar to um, other reptiles. So if we're looking in the, you know, kingdom of life, kingdom animalia, uh, we have our vertebrates. We're not that closely related to um, reptiles, but we are going to all be vertebrates. And then you have kind of in the center um, of our brain, um, right around the midbrain, you're going to have the ooey gooey limbic system center, right? Okay. This is where the emotional magic happens. Oh, it's like a truffle. It's yeah, like it is like a, a truffle. truffle. It's all gooey in the center. And you're like, num, num, num. And <laughs> there you're going to find the amygdala. So the 
amygdala is going to be kind of like the size of your thumbnail, but shaped like an almond. And it's going to be on both sides. So if you were to cut your, your brain in half, and you'd, you'd have one on each side. Ooh, okay. And they're really small, but that is kind of the powerhouse of the fear response. That's going to be the control center. So when our body is going to perceive a stressor, so we talked about like, you know, stress versus um, fear, you can really start to look at it as stress is going to be the physiological response that your body's having to a stressor. And that stressor is going to be the outside thing, the trigger. Um, Stressors are generally never in our control, but our stress response is. Okay. So let's go back to the story that you said about um, getting uh, mugged at knife point. Yeah. Right. So the the stressor is going to be the mugger right. <laughs> with the knife threatening your life. And there were two of them. Oh, <laughs> one for each side of my amygdala. Like, right. Oh, that's nice. Thanks, they thought dude. about you. They're like, they you know, we're gonna we're gonna tag team. Yeah. I mean, you obviously are very ferocious <laughs> opponents. Yeah. They're like, we're gonna need backup boys. Two of them. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, in that in that moment, your central nervous system is what is allowing you to interact with your internal and your external environment. Mm-hmm. So your senses, your eyes, your ears are picking up a threat. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be the stressor. You have no control over that stressor, mm-hmm. but your stress response is what's happening inside your body, and your you know amygdala is kind of like hitting the panic button, being like, okay, we need to we need, it's go time. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, it's going to create a kind of like cascading um, effect through your um, hypothalamus and thalamus and getting everything ready for your body to in this particular point to do the fight or flight. Okay, so little recap. This whole shebang is part of your limbic system. And once again, the little almondy amygdala deep within your brain receives info. This says, ha, no, oh no, I'm paraphrasing. And it chemically pokes your thalamus, which sends other signals to the brain to just release a floodgate of adrenaline and cortisol in preparation to either engage in fisticuffs or get the fuck out ASAP. Okay, so this next thing she says changed my whole life. Okay, get ready for it. Are you ready for it? Get ready for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is a good time to kind of also separate. When we look at fear, we have kind of like two major types of fear. Um, what I call factual fear versus fictional fear. Oh. So since we're on this example, like factual fear is going to be actual threats to your life that are happening in a shared reality right now that your body is responding to. So you getting mugged at knife point was hell yeah factual fear. Like <laughs> like shit is going down. It is time to put all all systems into fight or flight. And that means at that time your body is shutting down non-essential systems. So cellular regeneration, not taking that offline, don't need it. Um digestion, like we're just we're not gonna worry about that. Um libido, yeah, don't need to be worried about sexy time right now. <laughs> just just trying to get out of here alive. And then that means that other resources can be put to your skin. And this is why you can either break out in cold sweat or get hot because your blood is flowing to your muscles so that your muscles will have the energy to do what it needs to do to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a, and that's all the stress response. Um, there's also going to be the other side of that, which is fictional fear. Just like a good fictional book might have a nugget of truth in it, but most of it is just made up. Right. So with fictional fear, that is the everyday fears. And that's the fears that I really focus on of how we can change our story with our fictional fears so that they aren't 
like firing up the amygdala so much and that we're not going into this full stress response because in modern times, our body isn't really good. Like our amygdala just sees stressor, right? It's up to us to control how that is perceived because if we are constantly in hyperdrive with our amygdala, just keep sending signals of danger, danger, danger when it's not necessarily dangerous, like it could just be annoying or... Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe it's a it's a good stressor, like it's an opportunity. Um, if we don't start to discern that for ourselves and we constantly are just redlining the stress response, then that's why we're seeing this increase in all of these other issues in our body that usually would be taken care of. So oh. like, you know, like um, like the, the cellular regeneration. Right. Mm-hmm. Especially when we go to sleep at night, that's our time for our bodies to be like, OK, we're going to do some maintenance. We're going to get rid of some cells. <laughs> we're going to make some new ones, do all the things. If, if we're constantly in the stress response, if it's constantly go time, our body's like, nope, nope, not even dealing with that. Wow. And, and cancer is a disease of the cell cycle. That This is right? mind blowing. <laughs> this is blowing all of my amygdala areas. <laughs> so we we are keeping ourselves partly in a state of heightened fear yeah when we don't need to yeah absolutely why um because no one teaches us how to not to isn't it frustrating yes so many years of like being scared we didn't have to uh, yeah, and that's that's my jam of because I I I am still that person by the way like I'm I continue to apply the things and do the you know walk the walk of of what I teach and what I study, but it doesn't mean fear is gone. Yeah, it's just I got super tired of living in a really tiny box mm-hmm. and knew that there was a life beyond the provincial town, <laughs> but in order to get to that life, I needed to handle my fear business. Yeah. Because no, no, like, no one's going to handle it for me. So sadly, Mary's mom passed away. And looking back on her life and how controlled by fear she was, Mary decided to face a lot of her own fears and just take some dang risks. So she was in a relationship that hadn't been working for years, and she really longed to get out of the small town that she was from. And it is here that I will refrain from crooning just a small town girl living in her lonely world. But... Don't stop believing that I really want to. Anyway, she went on a journey. Fast forward a year of like branching out of my original friend group, meeting people that had all these like crazy stories of like international travel and adventure and me making the decision that I I want this new life. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, I'm going to have to make some pretty radical changes um, within that year because, no, too off topic of science, but, you know, like the, you know, our long term relationship at that point when like 12 years wasn't going well. So we decided to get married because just like having a baby and when you're struggling in your relationship is the best (laughs) idea ever. It's not. It's not the best idea ever. (laughs) So clearly that didn't work. So uh, and. I was like, okay, I just, I'm going to, I'm going to completely change my life. And, um, ended that relationship, uh, you know, started this whole like new, just was traveling. Mm -hmm. And, um, when, whenever I had the opportunity with, with breaks from, um, teaching at the university, then I would just travel by myself. And 
freaked out most of the time because mm-hmm. you know I want I wanted to travel but my friends had normal jobs so they couldn't just take off for like a month mm-hmm. and so you know went to Costa Rica got stuck in a cyclone in Croatia um, you know went to the the markets of Marrakesh and <sighs> you know and, and most of the time being like what am I doing and I what am I doing and I'm like, <laughs> totally oh. freaking out but but also discovering that you know I want to die with good stories. Oh, right. Like I get that tattooed on my stomach. Right. (laughs) Like, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I want to die with really good stories. And in order to do that, I needed to leave my hometown. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so that's what I did. And and it just became kind of a game of feeling the fear and doing it anyway. And it's no wonder that we constantly stay in this loop of being afraid to do anything, because even if we have an idea the people in our life, out of out of love, yeah. we're like, oh, you shouldn't do that because you're going to die. <laughs> well, is fear contagious in, in mammals, in social creatures? Is fear contagious? Yeah. So we, um, when we're in fear, we actually give off um, almost kind of like a pheromone as well as like really delicate um, visual cues. Okay. And this is why, have you seen like someone talk for the first time or they're really nervous and it is uncomfortable to watch. There are some <laughs> TED Talks where you can you can hear how dry their mouth yeah, is. Yeah, like yeah, and you're like, oh, yeah. just relax, it's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Although I knew if I were up there, I'd be crying blood. Yeah. I don't know what would be happening, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and it's and, and it's that it's that visceral reaction for as as mammals, we want to run away from people that are in a big like fearful anxiety state. Because that generally means danger, like life-threatening danger. So like, okay, well, we're... <laughs> I'm out of here. Yeah, you seem like the danger zones. I'm going to go. <laughs> I think sometimes also we're conditioned to think um, if I remain in an anxiety cycle, if I remain seeming scared or fragile, then I will get care from other people. Yeah. But it's funny that that's actually probably... In a, in a really subtle biological way driving people away from you. Yeah, and it's and it's a delicate balance because um, one of the like, so when, and we've seen this in primate studies as well, um, that when we have fear we um, will reach out like young kids and primates we see it the most in, um, will reach out for like physical like connection mm-hmm. or some kind of connection. And that's the best way to kind of calm your fears is to reach out and get connection, to ask for connection and receive that support. Mm-hmm. As adults in Western society, we, we've had that trained out of us. We've been socialized to say, especially in America, stand on your own, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. Yeah. You know, we're so individualized that we are like afraid of reaching out and be rejected of that support. It's it's something that is so ingrained that we we're having to fight our natural instincts because like primates and children, right? Like when what happens when like a little kid is scared, they're going to run for their safety person. Yeah. You know, whether it's mom or dad or whatever. And they, they want that connection there. That's their their safe spot. Um, as adults, we just internalize it and then maybe like numb it with drugs and alcohol or sex or porn. And mm-hmm. then we we just pretend like it's not there. Right. And it, it's it's totally affecting our entire society. Well, what percentage of our fears would you say that we feel, would you say are factual and how how much are fictional? And also the way that we consume media, either whether it's like 
presidential Twitter rants or, or you know, <laughs> documentaries about cults or whatever. Like, we, I feel like we're kind of stimulating that a lot, right? Yeah. yeah. What's going on there? So... Um, you know, as a as a scientist, I'm always hesitant to just make up um, percentages, right? Because like 98 percent right, right, right. of statistics are made up. <laughs> but, That's so great. But I would say, um, and, and it's going to be very specific to where you're living, mm-hmm. right? Um, if you are an American and living in LA, and you know you have your basic needs taken care of, most likely most of your fears are fictional. If you are living in a really politically unstable area, if you're in Syria, right, if your basic needs are not being met, then a lot of your fears are going to be factual. Mm -hmm. But so, you know, it kind of depends on what your situation is. But in like modern society, in countries that are wealthy, like the United States, even though that wealth is not spread apart, we're still a very wealthy country. We're still getting by. And so in that, most of our fears are going to be fictional and you know like fear is so funny that it you know why do we like scary movies Mm -hmm. because they give us that like rush of adrenaline when we watch a scary movie and this is gonna this is kind of where it'll be interesting with the the vr world right because our mind doesn't know the difference that that's not happening if it's a really engrossing movie. Mm-hmm. And I just saw like on the social feed, I think yesterday there was some, I don't know if it's Netflix or something um, that they made this like super scary episode of something and people like were shutting off, like no one was finishing it because it was so terrifying. <laughs> right. I mean, I clearly didn't click on it. But yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> Okay, I looked this up and Netflix released a list of 10 films that people tend to watch more than 70% of, meaning that they would have turned it off earlier if they just didn't like it. But they noped it hardcore when the action started getting too spooky. So they made it most of the way and then they were like, no. So among these 10 films, Eli Roth's Cabin Fever, uh, plus movies like Carnage Park, uh, one called Teeth, one called Raw, and of course, Human Centipede 2. So this kind of led me down a rabbit hole to learn about people who have suffered fainting spells and heart attacks in horror movie screenings. It happens. People just straight up faint and die. Oh, human beings. Man, we grew these big fat brains and we're like, you know what we could do? We could create technology to make pictures move and then we can scare ourselves until we literally die. Let's do that. It's one of those things that if we can put ourselves in the story, we can like we're activating all those things. But our like higher brain functions, you know, like our um, cerebral cortex is being like, okay, we're still safe. We're in a movie theater. We have our popcorn. We're on our couch. There's enough safety where we can play around in that fear zone and get the like fear high. Right. Like, (laughs) or like, you know, um, we also get to dress rehearse tragedies and dress rehearse fear scenarios like i mean i know what i would do during a zombie attack i i totally think about it i'm like okay i'm on the second floor so that means that like you know where or or if someone broke in like with the axe through my front door i would probably go out the back door i mean we we're constantly dress rehearsing these things that will most likely never happen right but so movies like that help us almost in a weird way feel safe Mm. because our mind likes to dress for her stuff. It likes to play with scenarios because in a weird way that 
lets us feel like, okay, well, at least I would I would know what to do when zombies come. Right. <laughs> I, I wonder about that. Like, why do some people love horrifying stuff and others are like, hell no, like pictures of bunnies only, yeah. you know? <laughs> totally. And, and part of it's tolerance, right? Um, some people can have like a peach schnapps and be like loopy and the other people can have straight whiskey and they'd be like, well, it's good, it's a warm up. <laughs> so it's, it's really a personal tolerance and that gets into personality and what your experiences are and, and what gets your motor rubbing for mm-hmm. <laughs> certain things. So that's, that's definitely like a, a person by person thing. Um, but the, the underlying physiological responses are the same. Um, just some people enjoy that feeling, mm-hmm. like um, adrenaline junkies, right. right? They put themselves in physically precarious positions because they want to feel that high. They want to like feel the knots in their stomach and like all the things um, because they find that pleasurable. Mm-hmm. Whereas other people are like, yeah, no, yeah, that's uh, no, that sounds horrendous. Why, why would I do that? I don't ever <laughs> want to opt into diarrhea. Right. <laughs> That's always going to be a no in my book. (laughs) Never a yes. Side note just to say, not everyone's adrenaline rushes are the same. Some folks may love jumping off buildings in webbed onesies that allow them to drift back to the earth, while others just procrastinate on their deadlines because they're afraid to fail and need a rush of stress hormones to prod them. Guess which one I am. Guess. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. So is my brain. Here's a thought experiment. Think of all the time that you spend just scrolling on things or not doing the things you want to do. I know, time is the most valuable thing that you have. Oh boy, let me tell you I had to learn this over time. You know what helped? Therapy. Therapy can help you figure out what matters most to you and how to prioritize it so that you like your life more. And where I learned that was better help. Because yes, I have been a client. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, I know how hard it is to get started. BetterHelp makes it very easy. It's entirely online. It's convenient. It's flexible. You take a quick questionnaire. They match you with a therapist. Instead of just Googling and trying to find someone with an opening, BetterHelp makes it very accessible. And I like that. It's also more affordable than traditional therapy. And you can chat. You can text. You can do video calls. You can do phone calls. For some reason, you are not vibing with your therapist. You can switch at any time. No extra cost. No drama. So let me tell you. Time is precious. Figure out where you want to spend yours. And you can learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash ologies today to get 10% off your first month. So that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash ologies. It's about time. KiwiCo. You know I love KiwiCo because making stuff and learning while you do it, the best way. And KiwiCo is great. They deliver seriously fun learning for kids of all ages. They have these hands-on projects and activities and each month kids receive crates that are engaging and that introduce them to things like science and technology or concepts and art. And I love that all the things you need are in there so you're not going to be running out to the store to get pipe cleaners. You're not going to run out of glue or something. And KiwiCo tests these crates with professionals and with kids to make them the best they can be. There's so many different projects depending on what your kiddo's interested in, what age or grade level they're at. You can discover the science of magic. You can engineer a domino machine. These make great gifts. I have given these to so many kids. And I also like that there's no commitment so you can pause or cancel crates anytime. So redefine learning with play. You can explore projects that build confidence and problem solving skills with KiwiCo. Get 50% off your first month on any crate line at Kiwi kiwico.com with the promo code ologies. So that's 50% off your first month at kiwico.com promo code ologies. They're going to love it. 
Did you know that Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? You can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home on top of the wide variety of houseplants available. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days and along with their 30-day alive and thrive guarantee. They offer free plant consultation forever. Available 24-7, you can talk to a plant expert about your soil type, your landscape design, and they curate thousands of plants. They got climates, they got locations. I am stoked about this because I've wanted a fig tree for so long and I'm like, I don't know where to get the fig tree. I'm not quite sure where to plant it in the yard. And I went to the Fast Growing Trees website and I was like, boom, I'm in zone 10. This fig tree would work well for me. Done. And right now they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants and listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code ologies at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code ologies at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code ologies. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. How you doing on that D, that vitamin D? Could be better. I feel ya. Some of us are coming out of a winter. I don't know how much outside time you get. I don't know how your vitamin D is dietarily, but I know a lot of people, including myself, especially women over 18, 97% of us not getting enough vitamin D from our diet. Rituals like, how about I help you? They're a clinically backed multivitamin. So skeptics, here's a multivitamin that's like, yeah, we use science to formulate this. I think you're gonna like it. Ritual multivitamins are vegan. They're gluten and major allergen free. I also like that Ritual is a female founded B Corp. So they're doing good for the health of people and the planet. Ritual multivitamins are also gentle on an empty stomach. I like that when I open mine, they have kind of a minty essence. I've got ritual vitamins in my belly right now, to be honest. I take them every day. They have kind of a lava lamp look with oil and beads inside. I also have their melatonin caps at night when I need to go bye-bye Z's. So no more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. And get 20% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash ologies. So start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. So that's ritual.com slash ologies for 20% off. Do you find that there's a distinction psychologically between stress fear and just anxiety? Like what is an anxiety disorder or what is anxiety? Where does it play into all of that? Where does neuroses come into it? Yeah. So it's, um, like I said, for me, I, I specifically have always focused on like the non-clinical, non-pathological stuff. And, mm-hmm. um, so I'm a, I'm a biologist and a um, science communicator by degree and training. And, that means that I pull together interdisciplinary work on all of it, but I don't treat patients. Mm-hmm. So I think that's important just because anytime you're talking about this, sometimes people are like, oh, good, I don't need to see a professional because right. I can just listen to a podcast and watch a video. And, you know, if, you, if you're if you feeling those really extreme bouts of anxiety and depression um, and that's how we deal with fear, right? But there's, it's a spectrum. Yeah. So on those on those extreme things, that's when you really need to get that professional support so you can get back to having, you know, like control over your life. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, they're all the damn same, right? Um, in when I teach people about how to create strategies around fear, um, one of the mechanisms I talk about um, is um, like RIA or RIA. That okay. So this is a genius strategy. R-I-A, RIA. Are you ready? The first step is just recognizing what's going on. Mm -hmm. And then the second step would be identifying it. Kind of like name it to claim it. 
and um, I was just in uh, Cozumel last week and um, talking about my research with my partner and he came up with this really funny idea that um, he works in creative and narrative kind of stuff as well and he was saying that there is power in naming things throughout uh, storytelling and mythology, um, pop culture, Beetlejuice, right? Rumpelstiltskin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that if you know the name of the demon, then you can control it. And I just found that really fascinating because when you start to name it, sometimes that can just short circuit the fear response in and of itself. Wow. Like you recognize, okay, I, I'm starting to feel like the physiological effects of something just set me off and just kind of recognizing that that's happening and identifying it. Um, so one of the things that I've made is what I call a fear wheel, which is basically a bunch of different synonyms for fear that we usually use. Like I feel insecure. Mm-hmm. I feel overwhelmed. I feel stressed. I feel inadequate. Right. This sounds like the best worst game show ever where there's just a wheel of fear that you have to spin but it is comforting to know that whatever's making us sweat or wring our hands could be named and identified on like a glittery colorful game show prop i'm so into that um when looking at fictional fears you can really most fictional fears will fit into one of two categories either the fear of being not enough or the fear of not being in control Oh, wow. And so if you can kind of go back to that and say like, okay, where, 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 which category does this fit in? Mm -hmm. Sometimes that will just click you right out of the fear response. (gasps) Like, yeah, it's so fun because humans love to pigeonhole. Like we have an entire store called the container store (laughs) because we love boxes so damn much. I love the container store so much. (laughs) See? So many zipper pouches. I love it. (laughs) We love to put shit in boxes. It's so good. We're like, oh, yeah. Like there's a relaxing like oh, mm-hmm. it's so good to put the box in the, the, we we love to categorize stuff. So when you get into the habit of categorizing what you're feeling, sometimes that will just click out of it and you'd be like, Oh, it's so good. Okay, I put it in a box. Oh, happy safe box. I filed it correctly. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, ah and it's just sometimes that's enough to like, you know, knock you out of it. So the RIA so far is R I recognize and identify. But what's the A? Um, and then the A is going to be to address, you know, what kind of strategies um, or do you need to manage outcomes for this? But a lot of times you can get just in the recognizing and the identifying stage and then it'll it'll kind of click you out. Um, you know, for example, I have a great story. And it just like back to Cozumel because it was like two days ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we were coming off the plane. This had a whole travel day. This is the end of the week. And um, my, my partner, Craig, and I are sitting on different seats because, you know, American Airlines. <laughs> Uh, not my favorite airline. And I'm, I got out first. I'm waiting on the jet bridge from him, for him. And so he comes up and he's like, wow, you look a bit rough. Just a little visual FYI. I looked appalled when she told me this. I, I made that face. I made that face and got real mad. <laughs> You're like, excuse me. I, I was so bad. And he, he's, not, he's not someone that would ever usually say something like that. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, well, I do look like crap. We've been tra- yeah. traveling for like a million hours. Yeah. And um, so at that point, I'm just like internal rage. Yeah. <laughs> and when you're feeling a stress response or a fear response, you're like... Cerebral cortex is just the, where the higher thinking happens just shuts down. Yes. It's like, okay, and I'm offline. It just shuts down. And now I'm just, I'm, I'm in it. What I call like um, 
a fierce storm, mm-hmm. right? It's like a maelstrom because that just hit my I'm not enough button. Mm-hmm. At this point, I'm going through all of the scenarios of like, he thinks I'm fat. He thinks that I'm ugly. Oh my God, I'm old. I should probably dye my hair. I should probably want to diet. I probably need to never eat again, right? It's, and it spirals so quick. This was all yeah. happening even before we left the jet bridge. Oh, right? you poor thing. And it's, but it's so, it was, he did not mean it in a mean way. It just yeah. kind of like, cause he, when he came out, I was like tousling my hair and I kind of, kind of looked like a lion. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I took it so personally mm-hmm. and it was my perception of what he had said. Of course. And instead of, I didn't ask questions like, oh, what do you mean about that? I just went straight down the rabbit hole Mm -hmm. of like internalizing everything. And and that was my fear talking, the fear of not being enough. And so, you know, I walked it off a little bit because I'm just like, I'm not going to talk to you right now because I'm going to say something real mean. (laughs) Um, And then in my head, I'm like, okay, you got to walk the walk. If you're going to ask other people to do it, you got to mm-hmm. do it yourself. And and just analyzing, okay, why why am I going down this crazy rabbit hole? And especially as women, like our value is associated with how we look in Western society. Yeah. We've been conditioned. So that's going to be one of our buttons, hands down. Yeah. That's going to be one of our buttons. And so just kind of like identifying what I was feeling, naming it and putting it into a box. And I'm like, oh. Okay, because it also makes us feel not so alone mm-hmm. that it's just it's just our human body being a human body right. that it's not like what we would consider ourselves. It's it's our brain doing its brain thing. Mm-hmm. And that like totally helped me like snap out of it and then be able to have a conversation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Because before that, I was just so caught up in like the emotion of it. I just couldn't even ask questions about like, so what, what exactly did you mean by that? Yeah. And then once I calmed down, you know, at baggage claim, and, you know, and I was like, okay, now, now we can have a conversation. But, you know, um, 10 years ago, before I started really studying fear, I was really shit at emotions. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like I was a scientist. That's why I got into science. Because you didn't have to have emotions. In fact, they give you extra credit if you didn't have emotions. That was so great. I'm like, oh, science, I'm here for you. You are going to be my friend because I don't have to have emotions, which is kind of weird for a girl, but whatever. It was so great. <laughs> and I had to like teach myself how to communicate especially difficult emotions mm-hmm. and so for me to even within you know a couple of minutes go from ragey pants right. <laughs> and her and like going through like ah, over dramatic about it to okay now that I'm like able to get a little bit of my higher functions online what exactly did you mean by that, right? And he's like, oh, I'm really sorry. I just meant like, you know, after like a long day and, and um, you know, like when Wonder Woman is at the end of the battle, you know, she looked a little rough too because I'm a big comic nerd. So he's going to pull in all the stops of this one, right? Way to go, Craig. I know, right? He's like, he's like, okay. he's like, he's like, he's like you know, like, like, you know, Wonder Woman, she, she looked a little rough after the end of the battle. So that's just what I said. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, you're ridiculous. Okay. And it, and it was fine. Right. But I could easily see myself 10 years ago being mad about that for like a year. Right. <laughs> you know, and just internalizing it and being like, man. Well, how much do you think of our anger in general is just fear that comes out the wrong pipe? So much. Especially with men, that's. You know, and not to like overgeneralize and, and, and gender is very complicated as well. Mm-hmm. But generally men will go to the anger button first and, and women go to like the shutdown button first. Right. Um, part of that is socialization. Part of that, you know, can be associated with physiology. But but anger is a way to not show 
what they think, not showing fear. Mm-hmm. So, if, you know, if, if they're scared of not being enough, if they're scared of losing control, whether that control is financial or their health, um, it comes out as, as anger because it makes the person feel powerful. Right. Because anger is also one of the base emotions. And but we, we don't feel powerful in fear. We, we feel powerful in anger. Mm-hmm. And we talked about media. When we look at archetypes in media, the ones that come in, they're angry and they got the Rambo knife and they got the guns. Those are those are the power ones. They're they're here to whoop ass. Not the like, I'm afraid in the corner. I'm yeah. the big, you know, like scared of pants. I'm not saving anybody. No one wants to be the scaredy pants in the movie. They want to be the hero. Yeah. And the way that we've told stories, the hero is generally angry. Yeah, they have a they have a bone to pick, yeah, yeah. or they have um, revenge to seek, or or something like a, they've got a um, a score to settle. Yeah, and so and I find it's funny. I find when I'm when I'm scared, I either shut down and I just almost in conflict can't even speak, mm-hmm. and um, like words just won't come out. That's me. Ugh. That happened when I got mugged too. I went to scream and no noise would come out of my mouth. And I was like, it was like one of those like nightmares. Yeah. Where you can't run only I ran, but I was like, just nothing. And then, but yeah, sometimes I'll, I'll be super afraid. I'll have like an anxiety attack about something. Like I was doing my taxes the other day and was like, I realized I, I forgot to pay this one thing and there was a fine on it. It was like this tiny business tax that I just didn't see the paperwork. And I got so angry at just humanity yeah (laughs) i was like but i mean do you think that that there's a stage where we'll stop doing that we'll stop relying on on those either shut down or anger like especially with like you know not to make it like the world today but i mean (laughs) i feel like people online get so angry with each other like politically people are so angry like do you think there's a way to make people recognize like you are afraid right now and that is why you are bullying someone or that's why you're shutting down sections of the government or whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think that we definitely can get there as a society if if we try. And I think this is, for me, part of my why of why I think this work is so important to start these conversations, because fear in and of itself is never going to go away. And it's going to as long as we're humans until we can put our consciousness in a robot, then, you know, we can come to that bridge <laughs> It exists, but if we have our human bodies and our amygdalas are intact, we are going to have fear. And so, changing that conversation and you know, teaching people this is a total like we teach people to sit on a toilet, that is not a natural thing. (laughs) From a very young age, we're like, just don't stand and pee because most animals are just like, like, I mean, or you know, like we we teach very young children a very unnatural thing because it's more socially acceptable. So we can do it. I believe in humanity. <laughs> you know, at some point, someone's like, hey, you know, I have this really good idea. It's called the toilet. It's going to be real fancy. <laughs> yeah. And, and people thought they were crazy. Um, and, you know, it caught on. And then now it's it's great. So gl- so happy about <laughs> so it. Happy so about glad. It. 10 out of 10. 12 right? out of 10. Yeah. And, and then with human behavior, people have to see what's in it for them. They have to see, like, well, what do I get out of it? Mm-hmm. And that's going to take some people longer than others because it's going to take humans and adult humans recognizing that this needs to be cultivated because fear can't be cured, but it can be cultivated in a way that we can have a healthy relationship with it mm-hmm. and changing the conversation when people are raising kids about like, it's, it's okay to be afraid. 
Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you don't you can you can be scared and allowing for that to be socially acceptable and then teaching people what to do when they're in the rabbit hole um, is going to be important. And I think that we definitely can get there, um, but it's not going <laughs> to happen overnight as nothing does. <laughs> if you had kids, uh, what what would be a good toilet training for them in terms of fear? Would it be trying to recognize if they're afraid of being out of control or not being good enough? Or would it be naming their fears? Like what, how would you try to train a kid to have better or how do you wish you had been trained or I had been trained to deal with fears? Yeah. And I think it's um, depending on how old they are like right now. Yeah. Um, you would want to start having the conversation of asking them to examine their own feelings in the moment. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the hardest things to like, you know, since we're not trained about our emotions, sometimes we don't even know what we're feeling. Yeah. We're just like, I'm just, nah, yeah. I'm not happy. <laughs> like, like what is it? I'm just, I'm not happy. I'm on the not happy <laughs> spectrum of not happy. I'm growly. Yeah. It's like, Rawr! um, and, and getting to the practice of, okay, you know, I'm, I'm feeling insecure or I'm feeling um, terrified or, you know, trying to trying to attach names to things. So even just in the moment, they can say, you know, I'm feeling this way and and teaching them to reach out in that moment. Um, if they're if they're smaller, or even if they're larger, saying like, you know, um, I as your parent that loves you, I am a source for you to reach out. So when you're scared, you reach out to me, whether that's a text, whether that's a call, whether that is physically coming over and like just holding my hand, like I can be your buoy when you're when you're afraid and we can talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the worst things is to just really super internalize the things that you're afraid of because then you just keep building that story mm-hmm. and it gets bigger and bigger. And the stories that we tell ourselves continue to grow if we just keep in that cycle. So kind of creating a a pattern of behavior that acknowledges the fear, that is aware of it, is accepting of it, and then focuses on kind of ways to cultivate a better relationship with it. Do you recommend that adults kind of have those same conversations with themselves? Like when you're when you're feeling, you know, anxious or angry or whatever, sitting down with yourself and saying like, what are you feeling? Yeah. Yeah, all the time. And you know, like one of the reasons I'm so excited about like what I study is because I was like, I'm not kidding. I was really bad at emotions. Mm-hmm. I was good at showing happy, bubbly, perfect, Mary. Everything's perfect. But darker emotions. No, they don't. Say, I don't have those. Yeah, they don't exist. <laughs> you know, and they would everything was coming out sideways. Um, mm-hmm. So having that conversation with yourself is going to be important. Knowing what your fear reactions are is going to be essential. Like you said, um, you shut down, right? That's really common. Um, People will run away. They'll get angry. They'll self-medicate with food or substances. Um, They'll become depressed or inactive. These are all unhealthy ways to respond to fear. But knowing how you respond is really important for building those relationships so you have those people to reach out to. Mm -hmm. Um, So having like, you know, like a romantic partner or friends and, you know, once they're in that kind of like circle of trust, saying like, this is how I react when I'm in fear like Mm -hmm. I shut down it's not that I don't want to talk to you my mouth isn't working no like I'm one of those people like (laughs) I you know like just mm, I'm I stonewall and I know that's not the person I want to be but it's also going to just be part of the equation Mm -hmm. and when you add in you're tired or you have 800 other things that on your plate you know you're not always going to be that perfect 
person of being like, hi, I'm feeling fear and I'm going to eloquently articulate those feelings for you in a very nice and gentle tone. So there's going to be no, you know, friction between us. <laughs> You're like, I have a PowerPoint. And I, I've made a slide deck. It's on Prezi. <laughs> uh, I just had to look up what Prezi was, and I'm sure it's for lecturers and marketing professionals, but it seems like a real snazzy way to tell a lover how and why they bruised your feelings. I'm going to use it. Like, that's just, it's not going to, it's not how it's going to come out, right? Um, but knowing how you and your partner, like, react when you're in fear is going to be important. So you can also start to see it. Mm. Um, so that if they're shutting down or if they're getting angry that's disproportionate to the thing, you can actually be like, okay, this is not me. Like, and ask, like, are you, are you feeling afraid right now? Mm -hmm. And and are you able to talk about it? Or maybe do we need to, like, take a five? And, like, for me, sometimes I just need to walk away. Because I'm just going to say something stupid. So I just... (laughs) And what's happening in that? Because I will sometimes be... I know there's this adage of, like, never go to bed angry. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'm, like... If I, if I'm annoyed or angry or insecure or fearful and it's coming out sideways, mm-hmm. um, thanks Catholicism, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, like I'll fall asleep and I'll wake up and I'm like, oh, I'm fine. And I'm like, and that's so antithetical to the never go to bed angry. But I, I feel like I'm like, this is a chemical tornado in my brain yeah. Yeah. and it's going to go away. And I, is there ever, is it just like different strokes for different folks or it, like, is there something good about just like letting your brain chemicals drain and get broken down over time like an hour five minutes yeah we're um we're essentially always two-year-olds okay like forever (laughs) um and sometimes we just need a goddamn nap and we just we just need to take a little nap or have like a snack um hanger is a thing and and sometimes the root of the problem is just yeah your brain just needs a break or you're hungry and that sounds oversimplified but it's also true. And so sometimes, yeah, if you just feel like everything's going wrong, um, I, I heard this quote a couple of weeks ago and it was great. It was like, if you run into one asshole during the day, that person was an asshole. If you keep running into assholes all day, it's you. Yeah, you're the asshole. You're the asshole. <laughs> and so if you just all day, everyone is just on your last nerve, it's you. Just go take a nap, right? Yeah. It's probably you're, you're, you haven't had enough sleep. So there is something to be said for going to bed angry and just waking up chill. I saw this one psychology website that said that the typical fight or flight response lasts about 20 minutes. And so 20 minutes of calm is just a good start to drain your brain of the panic juice. Which I'm starting to realize maybe why some meditation practices recommend 20-minute stretches at a time. Now, okay, if you can't find a soft surface to peace out and dream or just breathe your fear slash rage away, apparently exercise can also help you burn through some of that cortisol and epinephrine. So if you're having a day, you're having a moment, just announce... I'm going to run around the parking lot a bunch to metabolize my very common chemical feelings of inadequacy. Be right back. Thank you. Also, maybe take a look at what's making you have those adrenaline spikes. But do you think that there is there should maybe be um, a deeper look at like the way that we do scare ourselves? Like, should we maybe stop looking at Twitter accounts that terrify us all the time? Should we put a cap on how much how many rabbit holes we go down or do you think that if we're going down it we should be going down it i think you have to like really be 
discerning on where you're going to spend kind of your your stress response. Mm -hmm. So we know that having a stress response all day long is really bad for you. It will kill you. Like um, your body's not able to take care of itself. It's not going to be mentally fun. It's not it's not good all around. It's not good for your relationships because you're constantly like. So you're not going to have the best life if you're constantly in that state of stress and fear. So just like you can't eat all the things every minute of the day, you have to be discerning, <laughs> right? It's got to be discerning on what what kind of things do you want to expose yourself to? What kind of things do you want to spend your stress money on, right? Um, like for me, I... I don't engage with people in like comment sections. Um, and, and as you do media as well, and like especially when you do visual media and as a woman, even if it's in science, people make crazy ass comments. Yeah. And you're like, Ser- seriously? You, you came to a science show to, I'm not even yeah. getting into it, but I, you know, I'm just going to let it go because that's not worth my, my stress energy. It's a finite amount mm-hmm. of like, currency that I have and I'm not going to spend it on that stuff that doesn't matter um, if it's something I enjoy like I don't like horror like slasher films but I like spooky films you know or like psychological thrillers and that's kind of fun if I don't have to go to bed alone um, to right, <laughs> have like woo spooky movie then that's that's fun for me so I'm going to spend some of my, my stress energy there um, but that's going to be a choice and really it's it's about it's about choices mm-hmm. and knowing which things are going to kind of be your stress responses and you're not going to fully manage those but just kind of making making better choices of what is my like return on investment mm. in this like you know like we're talking about social media am i going to change that person's opinion by fighting with them in the comment section Probably not. (laughs) Right. Um, People like cognitive bias is a thing. Mm -hmm. And and, and people in the comment section are not there usually to have a deep, meaningful conversation. They're there to get their anger fix. Mm -hmm. And so like for me, I'm like, "Ah, I'm not going to be your dealer. Sorry. I'm just (laughs) you're going to have to get your anger fix somewhere else. So staying calm and super collected might be the cruelest response. And then, to quote the wisdom of ancient East Coast philosophy, Forget about it. And when you have, like, rumination, when you have, like, fear and anger that don't have an outlet, then you just keep cycling in your body. You're just Mm -hmm. like, I'm going to hold on to this and just get more angry and more, you know, like, frustrated or fearful about things. That's That's not serving anything. It's not doing any good. You know, I know we don't know a whole lot about depression and anxiety. I mean compared to the amount people suffer from it yeah. to what we know um i think we're, we're we still are figuring out like how ssris really work in the yeah. brain how much do you think of anxiety is is genetic physiological and how much is it learned responses do you mm-hmm. know what i mean i mean i i know that cognitive behavioral therapy is, is super helpful yeah. and that is relearning but i'm just curious and i can look more into this just because i thinking of my family history yeah. of anxiety um i i'm i'm wondering how much of it is just patterns of behavior yeah um it's definitely going to be a mix and with um a lot of like mental 
health issues. Part mm-hmm. of it, you know, is going to be genetic predisposition. Take addiction, right? Part of it is genetic predisposition. Part of it is going to be the environment in w- which you were raised. Mm. Um, part of it is going to be your active choices and the support system or education that you've been given around how to make different choices. So uh, humans are so complex, and th- this is kind of why there's no easy answer to any of these things. Um, but there's always going to have that genetic predisposition be a part of it yeah. because we do have lineages. Um, they just came out, I think like, like a few months ago, and you probably saw this, um, with like scientific evidence to support trauma gets passed on through generations mm-hmm. and not just in utero. Like, like there's a genetic with the telomeres impact of trauma that gets passed through DNA, you're like, what? Yeah. So if you have a trauma lot, you're screwed. It was not even your fault. You didn't do anything. <laughs> right? I just, let me live my life. <laughs> that so, is quite an inheritance. Right? You're like, yeah, you're like, I got shitty telomeres and some epigenetics <laughs> that are boning me. Thanks, Grandpa. <laughs> right? So if you listened to the evolutionary biology episode, you might remember some things about acquired genetics and epigenetics and gene expression, and this kind of falls in line with that. So there was a study out in the American Journal of Psychiatry in 2014, and it involved data about war survivors who suffered PTSD having children with higher methylation of a gene involved in stress response. Mm, but it was a small study. It only looked at a little slice of genes with not that many people. So some scientists say that more data needs to be gathered. We got a lot to learn. And, and a lot, especially like really big trauma, um, things like the Holocaust, things that were completely out of those individuals' control, right. it continues to get passed down in generations. Um, so, I mean, with the brain, there's still so much we don't know. And we're kind of still scratching the surface of understanding, um, like, learned fears. We still don't quite know how that works of why someone, you know, learns to be afraid of water because something happened when they are a kid. And then you have other people that love water. And so there's still, like, a lot of research to be done on that end. But um, it's definitely passed on both I think genetically as well as behaviorally, because how do you, you learn how to be a human from your parents and your yeah. family? Like, especially when you're young and, and really impressionable, like, how do I human? Oh, that's how I human. Okay. And that's so deeply imprinted that even when you start to learn new behaviors, it's not going to be as powerful as what was imprinted when you were young. Mm-hmm. So depending on what kind of, you know, shake of the dice you got, that's going to have a huge impact on how you're going to, like express yourself as an adult but it's interesting to me that like learning about how much of our fears especially in the in the western world or you know in a in a you know big city or whatever are fictional gives me more faith in in pursuing more like cognitive behavioral tactics i think there's at some point i think you kind of just surrender to your anxiety and you're yeah. like, well, I'm an anxious person. Yeah. <laughs> like I got, I got diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. And uh-huh. I was like uh, a few years ago and I was like, oh, that's why I'm constantly worried about like yeah. living under a bridge. That's why I'm always afraid of being a failure or yeah. something. And so I think I, at some point I kind of was like, well, I got a diagnosis, so I'm surrendering to it. You yeah. Know? Like it's who I am. And it's interesting to hear about you talk about it in that way. Cause I'm like, oh, I'm, there are, there are steps that I just don't take because yeah. I just think like, this is my lot in life. Yeah. <laughs> like, it'd be like if you were a diabetic and you're like, well, why bother taking insulin? I'm diabetic. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I'm like, I have more power to actually change things than I probably have given myself credit yeah. for. You know what I mean? 
I think I, and I think it's interesting because I feel like the the more people open up about fear and anxiety and stress, the more you find out a lot of other people have it. And it's, there's something really tragic about that because that means a lot of us struggle with it and none of us know what to do to self-soothe in the yeah. moment. Like we just, it's, we're just not equipped. Yeah. We weren't given that. That's so, that's so fascinating. I'm going to remember that. Yeah. RIA. Yeah. Super helpful. Yeah. It, and it's, and it's one of those things that, you know, like um, having professional therapy can be super, super helpful, but that's only maybe once a week, maybe mm-hmm. twice a week. And we feel fear every damn day. So we need things that are going to be easy to remember when our higher functions are just shutting down yeah. that we can put in our pocket and be like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to pull this out and I'm going to pull myself out of this like fear storm. And that empowers us. That makes us like not feel like we're at just the whims of our brain. Exactly. That, you know, our brain's just going to be like, I do what I want. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing is, is especially if you're having, if fear can be divided, if, fi- if fictional fears can be divided into, I'm not good enough or I'm out of control. I think that um, feeling like embarrassed that you're afraid yeah. or ashamed that your fear made you angry, that only triggers more of that. I'm not good enough and I'm out of control because I'm not in control of my emotions. And I'm a huge turd for feeling <laughs> angry and afraid. And now I'm even worse because I'm ashamed that I'm angry and afraid. You know what I mean? So it's just like it really spirals down yeah. so quickly. It's like the song that never ends. This is the song that doesn't How do I turn you off? So whew, if you're an alive human you probably related to a lot of this. And you're like, wait, there's so much more I need to know. But don't fear. Part two is here. Well, it will be next week. So I broke this episode into two. I made Mary talk to me on my couch for so long. I'm obsessed with her work now. So stay tuned next week to hear about Mary's own personal moments of greatest fear and what she did and what it taught her, as well as a ton of really good questions sent in from your own inquisitive brains, which Mary will answer. Meanwhile, you can find Mary online at www.marypoffinroth.com. She's on Facebook at Mary Poffinroth. She's also on Twitter at Mary Poffinroth. Instagram, though, her handle is fearforward. So, gently stalk her. This podcast is at ologies on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Allie Ward with one L on Instagram and Twitter. Um, you can pick up ologies shirts and pins and totes at the newly designed ologiesmerch.com site. We have bird pins, bug pins, clock pins. We just got in this week, these cosmetology pins and they are glittery. They're eight bucks so much cuteness. So go to ologiesmerch.com for that. Thank you, Bonnie Dutch and Shannon Feltis for helping with the merch site. Um, you can join the Ologies Facebook group if you like nice people. Um, thanks, Hannah Lippo and Aaron Talbert for adminning. And thank you, Stephen Ray Morris, for the lastest minute editing ever. You're a champion. Also, happy belated birthday, Stephen Ray Morris. It was last Tuesday. Thank you for existing. Um, The music was written by Nick Thorburn of the band Islands. And if you stick around through the credits, you know you get a secret. I'm just going to tell you that... (laughs) This is so dumb. Um, So this whole two-part episode is about fear and stress. This weekend, I was on a tiny vacation with some of my best girlfriends I've known since I was 12. um, And I had to get the audio uploaded and... 
the Wi-Fi at the Airbnb we're staying at was the slowest ever. Like, this will not mean anything to most people, but it was 0.24 megabytes per second upload speed, which if that, if you deal at all with any uploading of anything, you know that that is just, that's like tear-inducingly slow. Anyway, I finally went to a library. Shout out to public libraries. Y'all have fast, free Wi-Fi, and I love you. But um, my poor girlfriends I've known uh, since high school had to watch me freaking out trying to upload this episode all about fear and the stress response. So it's uploaded. And I had to ask myself, why am I freaking out right now? And I was like, I'm afraid I'm not good enough because I didn't upload this earlier. And what if this episode isn't good enough and no one listens anymore? So there you go. There's my secret for the week, you guys. Real life fears. What if I'm not good enough? What if this isn't good enough? All because of slow upload speeds. So anyway, think about what you're afraid about. We'll have more next week. Um, this is, a, it's, a, ugh, what a great two-parter. It's kind of like free therapy, even though I think I'm supposed to say a disclaimer about that this is not intended to diagnose or treat anything and you should get professional help for everything because the podcasts aren't allowed to fix anything. But it's very helpful nonetheless. Okay. Breathe deep. Bye-bye. Pachydermatology. Homeology. Cryptozoology. Lithology. technology, Meteorology. This is the song that doesn't end. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.